Welcome to I Got Your Text, Episode 3. In this episode, I send Seraphim a text from the book Edge of the Abyss, The Usefulness of Antichrist Terminology in the Era of Donald Trump by Robert Isaac Skidmore. I want to start by talking about two memories that I have. The first memory is from when I was in junior high school. My parents got in the mail this pamphlet to go learn about the end times. Huh. And it was, uh, they didn't know what it was really. They were disappointed to find out that it was at a church, uh, the Seventh-day Adventist church. But I went with them and they went over their eschatological, their, their theory about what happens at, at the end of the world. And part of that was the rapture, um, when everyone looks and is taken up into the clouds, tribulation, and, and all the stuff that's involved in that, those kinds of doctrines. I went with my parents, I think, for six weeks to these lectures, and that was my introduction to all of this. I'd never heard of any of this before that. My parents were not convinced by it to join the Seventh-day Adventist Church. I was, but I, you know, I was 12 years old. Um, I could have been easily convinced by anything at that. After that, jump forward probably oh, seven or eight years, I started attending um, a uh, non-denominational denomination in Protestantism. They're pretty heavily Calvinist too, aren't they? No, they're not. They're oh, not. they're not. Okay. Uh, Calvary Chapel is sort of Pentecostal, but more, don't get too much into it, kind of, <laughs> sort okay. of mod moderate Pentecostal. All right. Um, but they they are, you know, they do believe in the pre-tribulation uh -huh. rapture. And uh, they believe in it to such a degree that it's almost a dogma of the faith, where if you don't believe it exactly the same way that they do, then you will, um, you know, probably not even saved in the way that they define that term. Um, do they make it a part of their statement of faith right off the bat? Yes, they do. Yeah. Okay. Uh -huh. And uh, part of that whole scenario is, of course, the Antichrist. And the whole idea was that uh, the rapture, according to this view, would occur taking away all the Christians, you know, who truly serve Jesus, leaving this Antichrist figure that um, leads the world. You know, there, I'm sure you know there's a whole schematic. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, what's interesting to me is jump ahead several more years, maybe 20 years, and I'm sitting in my room, it's 2020. We have COVID going on. We have um, the Black Lives Matter movement because of the uh, death of George Floyd mm -hmm. and people out in the streets protesting. And then we have Donald Trump, who sent in his, uh, I think it was his Secret Service agents, to go in and tear gas peaceful protesters and others who were assembled between him and the church in Washington, D.C., so that he could do a photo op posing with the Bible in his hand. He held up the Bible. The Bible was upside down. <laughs> he had a, you know, odd look on his face for him to identify with evangelicals who are a lot of his base. It kind of reminds me of those heavy metal rock groups that hold up upside down crosses to prove their Satanism, right? <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, if we were conspiracy theorists, uh, we, we might say he did it on purpose, just, you know, right. the sign. Right. But when I saw that, though, it was like, I felt like it was a, it terrified me. It was like a, it was like a moment in history to me. It was significant. Yeah. yeah, me too. What's most interesting to me too, though, is that those people that 
I had known earlier in life who talked about the Antichrist to watch for the coming of the Antichrist were the people that he was appealing to. They were his supporters. Oh, I know. <laughs> so, <laughs> and so that's the reason I chose for my text. Um, we both know personally the, the writer of the text. It's uh, uh -huh. Robert Isaac Skidmore, um, or Father Isaac. He's an Orthodox priest. He's also a, a licensed clinical therapist. He has a PhD from Pacifica and a Master's of Divinity at Orthodox Seminary, St. Vladimir's. Uh -huh. And uh, he was my priest for a while, but he wrote this book titled Edge of the Abyss, The Usefulness of Antichrist Terminology in the Era of Donald Trump. And it has on its cover sort of a shadow profile of Donald Trump. Well, it's a shadow profile Donald Trump against the late great planet Earth. Oh, that's right. I didn't even <laughs> realize that. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Which was a popular right. book by Hal Lindsey, most people probably know. I think yeah. Satan is Alive and Well on Planet Earth was yeah. one of the best selling books in the 70s. More popular than the Beatles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the text that I selected has to do with he talks about Trump possibly as an antichrist figure, but not exactly in the same way as the Protestants um, who would talk about that, that, that I knew when I was in, you know, when I went to Seventh-day Adventist Church, when I was in Calvary Chapel, or even later when I was a Calvinist and uh, kind of adopted a different view. But that, that's all another story. But in this text, Father Isaac suggests that we consider thinking about the phenomenon of Donald Trump is, as president and others in terminology that's borrowed from the Christian scriptures, but he relates it to the archetypal language of depth psychology, especially as promoted by Carl Jung. Um, so he writes in the text that I selected, he writes about the shadows, according to the language of depth psychology, as expressions of the aspects of ourselves that we deny or that we're ignorant about, or that we're ignorant of possessing, that we um, oppress or repress. So when he talks about the possibility of Trump as fulfilling an antichrist archetype, um, I think he, imagined, he imagines this both in the religious connotations of the world, but, word, but also in the psychological parlance of the archetype and the shadow. And according to Young, and he points this out, we, we project unto others those um, shadow aspects that we reject in ourselves. And this can have both an individual as well as a cultural dimension. But he points out that when he talks about Antichrist in reference to Donald Trump, he's talking about a level of reality that transcends both the, the individual and the cultural and is more related to the uh, configuration of reality itself. It's archetypal. Uh -huh. So he, he writes... Um, I'm going to quote from it. He writes that Antichrist's appearance brings with it a change in the configuration of reality itself, so that in addition to psychological and social factors coming into play, corresponding economic and political events fall into place as if on cue, and even events in the natural world and on the scale of astronomy seem to bear witness to the way history has mysteriously altered its course. It is as though a new or previously unseen riverbed appears, the river of Antichrist, you might call it, and everything that makes up our personal, social, 
and cosmic reality begins to flow along its course with apparently unstoppable momentum. And I, I wow. think we can we can see this configuration, this sweeping shift in reality as it pertains to Donald Trump. Right. So that's pretty much the premise of this uh, of this episode. Do you have any thoughts on that so far? Oh yeah, tons of thoughts. <laughs> I mean, just in that last comment you made, uh, I think so. The dynamic was set up for me, you know, going back to. You know, this is really fascinating how how the shadow works. So if the shadow is an aspect of ourself, of ourself, of myself, if the if the shadow is an aspect of myself that I'm suppressing and refusing to acknowledge as part of myself and then projecting out onto some other object, which I will then, you know, kind of excoriate and refute. That kind of dynamic in the United States has definitely been going on since the rise of partisan politics, such that there seems to be this alternation every four years, every eight years, where one half of the of our collective brain, um, you know, goes into revolt against the other. And we saw this at come to a really fever pitch, not with Donald Trump, but with Obama, because don't forget, for Republicans, Obama was the Antichrist. Right. Obama was the Antichrist figure who, you know, who was the shadow. This black man with a Muslim middle name was the shadow of their unconscious that they were projecting. And this, I think, stirred up so much fear, so much anxiety that here was our shadow sitting right in the White House, right? Mm -hmm. A black man, the shadow in a White House. These images, these archetypes, were so just stirring that Donald Trump had to come along as a as a backlash to be the shadow uh, of you know because you re you remember how how victorious Democrats and liberals felt at you know Obama's inauguration we thought that you know the new world had arrived the new age had arrived right everybody was streaming tears and we had we we had very little thought when I say we I mean progressives that the um the right wing were just completely going oh my god antichrist has arrived and they had to sit and kind of stew in those feelings of anxiety and hatred and resentment for eight years until they got to have their guy come up and it's just a real example of another concept by you not the shadow but you know what concept really comes into play here you had another notion called enantiodromia and what happens in enantiodromia is that any movement or thought process or ideology or impulse comes around and becomes its opposite. You know, the mm -hmm. classic example is the way that uh, Christianity, which was supposed to be a religion of love, ended up in crusades and inquisitions. Or in the way that uh, communism, which was supposed to be this great liberation of the working man, ended up enslaving the working man like no other movement in history. So this is this is the process of enantiodromia in history. And wow, what a case of enantiodromia when the very people who were warning us for 40 or 50 years that there would be this antichrist, this charismatic figure, blah, blah, blah. Well, it turns out to be their guy. Right. right? right. I mean, whoa, <laughs> what a what a flip of archetypes. Like it's like turning the whole archetypal world upside down. So and I think what powered that what powered that final ultimate 
Trump, if you'll excuse the expression, of enantiodromia, right, was the fact that there was just so much psychic energy of resentment against Obama as Antichrist that they had to get their guy in no matter what, even if he was the guy who most resembled the one they'd been warring us against all along. You know, I think of like the Left Behind guy in that in that crazy series Left Behind. There was this Antichrist figure, you know, typical like um, melodramatic villain. His name was Nikolai Karpathia, right? <laughs> and he was like this evil Eastern European villain. He was supposed to be the Antichrist. But like that was before they could even imagine somebody like Donald Trump, who was a just a pitch perfect image of the Antichrist that Hal mm-hmm. Lindsey and, and all those people had been describing for all so many years. Right, right. So do you have any thoughts on that, like that kind of, you know, call it the Antichrist backlash, you know, first Obama is Antichrist, then Trump is Antichrist. It seems like, you know, all of that Antichrist anxiety just kind of spilled out in, uh, in 2008. Right. I suppose some of it has something to do with conflating the experience of your of Christianity with certain, you know, political beliefs because if you think that the anti you know if the antichrist on the one hand is going to be someone who is black you know (laughs) and you you might have some sort of um and or muslim right or muslim right right oh yeah Yeah. the muslim part was big there too right right and you, you probably have some sort of ideological distaste against that going into it as well as um things like the legalization of gay marriage and right and, and social things like that that the people who support Trump think that he is advocating for you know yeah or against then that uh you know that, that Trump is against gay marriage and abortion and some of these issues that they can play with the uh as central tenets of their faith yeah that, that if you don't believe this then you know you're probably not you're suspect at best yep. as a Christian. So, um, you, know, you know, another interesting line of thought, too, that I just thought of, and that was, you know, back in the 70s, there was a whole genre of movies about Antichrist as a young kid. So right. we had things like, you know, The Omen, The Omen 2, Rosemary's Baby, like the origin of the Antichrist, who and what is it? And I think that, now that I think of it, that really played into Trump's whole obsession with the birth certificate. It's like, if we mm. don't know how this guy was born right. and how he was brought up, who knows? He might be Rosemary's baby. <laughs> he might be little Demian of the Omen, right? Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. So it's like Antichrist pinning on Antichrist. You know, like like the classic example, which this is actually, I think, all the time what's happening in Russia with Trump. But it's always the thief who cries out, thief, thief. Right. right. So... Here's the Antichrist trying to find the origins of the Antichrist so no one would notice that he's the actual Antichrist. <laughs> I thought it was interesting the way that um, Father Isaac talks about how when the shadows assert themselves, I'm just going to quote from this part of the text. He says, when shadows assert themselves, as they inevitably do, because they are part of reality, though we have not recognized them as such, we experience them as disruptive to our customary understanding seem to come from an alien source. They appear as improbable and perhaps even impossible given our ordinary frame of reference. 
Archetypal shadows in particular can appear as intrusions from another realm, something supernatural, perhaps angelic or demonic, depending on whether they signify something hopeful or foreboding. They appear as something uncanny and spooky, not merely an extension of reality as we know it. They exist so far from the statistical mean that they seem, as much as anything possibly can, to come out of nowhere. This is, I think you could tie this, I don't know if you have any thoughts on it, but you could tie it also to Jung's notion of synchronicity. You know, right. I'm just thinking of um, how synchronicity is a way of explaining psychoanalytically certain probabilistic and stochastical anomalies that occur, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that was there was all kinds of that stuff coming up with Trump. Like, I don't know, I just think of a lot of the statements he made that he made at least... I I would count 50 statements in his public statements and appearances that would have smashed the campaign of any president. Like, you know, poor, who is the Democratic candidate? All he had to do was say, you know, Wisconsin, Chicago, Massachusetts. Ah! Right, and, right. That, and that did it for him. He was done. Yeah. And yet Trump, I mean, so like there's there was a kind of probabilistic anomaly there. Right. Like if, if a bunch of journalists or statisticians got together and said, let's see, uh, how many crazy and outlandish statements does it take to completely crush the campaign of a, a presidential candidate? You know, and there might be some like statistical mean or something, but he just like completely, he was a total outlier in that regard. Yes. And that sort of speaks to what uh, Father Isaac was saying there too, how he, for those of us who were not projecting projecting positive these same aspects positively onto Trump, as I think his followers do. They see him as the archetype of Christ, I think, to a large degree. Right. And, uh, and, and but for those of us who don't see that, it's sort of an illustration of what he means when he says it sort of just appears as if from some supernatural source from out of nowhere yeah. that he just, you know, he can just say things like, um, I can shoot somebody in the middle of the street and you know downtown right I remember where he said new york city and right and his followers would still support him i his, his hardcore followers i think really would 15 how many years prior to that we the whole country was just obsessed with the trial of a president who was having consensual sex in the white house rumors of consensual sex right. and yet here's this guy who comes out basically outright and makes the statements of a rapist and that's right. no problem that's no yeah. problem yeah like yeah. what the hell I had a friend that I'd known a long time ago. And uh, when I talked about when the Trump made fun of the developmentally disabled person. Oh, right. <laughs> I, I, I mentioned that and her response was, that didn't happen. They just edited the video. Oh, my God. So the, the extremes to which they'll go to deny reality. Yeah, right. Um, is pretty significant and surprising to me. Well, yeah, and I don't know if, how much uh, Jung had to say about, uh, you know, denial and denialism, but I know that it's a pretty significant element in the catalog of, you know, psychological disorders. In fact, I, I'm pretty sure that denial is one of the chief functions of shadow, of creating a shadow, right? You have to first deny that this material that's coming up. I mean, I just know for myself, you know, I know that Donald Trump is my shadow, like, when I look at Donald Trump, 
I see a person. He's like a mirror of everything I fear to become. I really fear becoming this ignorant, loudish, insane, you know, just this jerk. And so I don't want to see that out in the public. I I especially don't want to see it in the White House. Right. And so what I'll do is I'll deny that there's any of those aspects in myself, which are kind of stimulating me to a kind of uh, self-anxiety about what what what's in me that I see. And I'll repress that and I'll say, no, that has nothing to do with me. That's Trump. Those are the Republicans. Mm-hmm. When in fact, I think if a person is self-aware and and is, uh, you know, on a kind of psychological journey of of trying to get to know thyself and to become self-aware, I certainly realize that that's what was happening in me when such when such animus arose in me, such hostility and hatred. Where was that coming from apart from something inside of me that didn't want to acknowledge that those were parts of me that I did not want to see come out in public, that I had been trying to squash inside my whole life? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, you know, you know, Trump, Trump is the image. He's the very image of everything I don't want to be. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. And fear becoming, and, if I'm not careful. <laughs> and that that is the next part of the the text that that Father Isaac talks about. He kind of talks about the to the extent that we see evil as externalized or coming from somewhere else. Right. Um, I don't remember his exact wording, uh, but that's it's to that extent that we are in denial. Of, of those aspects of ourselves that we're projecting onto the subject, like like Trump. Um, so then, the really the really scary thing to think about is how is it that nearly a third of the population of the United States don't see him as their shadow and are not afraid of that? Right. That that really means something. Well, I mean, you you can look at that in two ways. Are you are you talking about the the supporters or? Or the people who just hate him vitriolically and don't see that there's any aspect of him as their shadow. Uh, yeah, maybe both. I mean, yeah. the, in the first case, of course, the ones that you know, the Trumpsters, they're just completely unreflective. Right. I mean, they would clearly have to be unreflective if they are, you know, in the kind of denial that you you were talking about before. But then, for those of us who are like you know me and possibly you. The fact that we, I don't know, there's something about the externalization of, there's, there's something about America, something about the American spirit that externalizes things that should be kept in inner and that, that should be part of the energy. Like, you don't see Europeans, you don't see European political campaigns. Well, maybe you do now, especially in places like France, but you didn't kind of used to see the kind of circus in European politics that you see in American politics. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, like in American politics, all of this, campaigning and especially the presidential campaigns they seem like this complete externalization of psychic forces that should be kept inside or at least well within a therapist's office <laughs> right yeah yeah <laughs> well yeah and it's become I mean, that's kind of the point of it now it's spectacle and there's not spectacle right the, the way that um politics are covered by the press doesn't differ very much from the way that sports teams are covered I mean, if you yeah. if you watch the debates, the the imagery that comes up on the screen is the same that they show like at a, some, a boxing event or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
but it ties in also with what we were talking to about the the wall and 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 pink the the character right. pink right. that he is um that he's kind of also before Donald J Trump ever came along he's kind of a stand in for those of us who um who I think were in not denial but um whatever that is we were doing when we were realizing that um here was a man who was uh, embodying our fears. I just actually I want to read something to you that my son sent me. It's really interesting. Uh, he just told, shared this with me today. He said that um, it says uh, in the spring of 1946, L. Ron Hubbard and John W. Parsons performed a series of magical rituals with the aim of incarnating the Thelemic goddess Babylon in a human being. Okay, so that was spring of 1946, and of course Donald J. Trump was born. No. June, June 14th, 1946, right? <laughs> and then it says down here at the bottom that a large segment of Hollywood's Church of Scientology voted for Trump. Apparently, he's very popular among the Scientologists. Mm. So maybe it was a, there was this kind of Crowleyan, Hubbardian magical act that caused his birth, you know, <laughs> on the order of Rosemary's baby. And again, that's why he would be trying to, you know, say thief, thief about Obama, where's his passport, blah, 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 because he was actually the one conjured up by some kind of demonic magic. Talking about projection, you basically, if you want to know what his agenda is, just listen to what he accuses others of doing. <laughs> exactly, right. Yeah. That's like almost a, that's a fail-proof rule with, with Donald J. Trump. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's a very stable genius. So, you know, he probably, I, I imagine Donald Trump's diamond resembling somebody like, well, it's Rudy Giuliani, isn't it? That's who his diamond is. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it's funny, right? I mean, to see the way that almost in fractal fashion, Donald J. Trump created these figures around him who were almost like refractions of that Antichrist figure, only showing different aspects of Antichrist. Because, mm -hmm. you know, Giuliani used to be one of these people. I never, I always thought he was actually quite scary. I, I remember looking at Giuliani and some of the things he would, he was said after the 9-11 were just like pretty, pretty astonishing as well. But anyway, mm -hmm. it's another kind of way that this image or this archetype can kind of go another kind of facet of that. And um, I'm thinking of this other guy uh, who was his, one of his campaign managers. I think he's the guy who had uh, Nixon tattooed to his back. So, you know, actually Roger Stone would be a very good candidate for a, for a Donald Trump's diamond. <laughs> I think that would work. Yeah, I did want to sort of talk a little bit more about the book that Father Isaac wrote, that he he's very careful in not sort of stating outright that he thinks Donald Trump is the Antichrist as somebody fulfilling specific eschatological prophecies or something like that. Oh, and correctly so, yeah. Right, and, he, and, what he, and he's suggesting that we adopt for the sake of understanding these phenomenon better the, the idea or the concept of antichrist yeah. within, within a uh, dead psychology concept so that seems to be his you know major purpose but he's also said that he was moved to write because of the ascendancy of donald trump so well i i don't know if this is abs absolutely certain it might not be but as far as i can recall the word antichrist is used in the new testament usually most of the time as actually all the time in with an indefinite article mm -hmm. so 
it's always spoken of as an antichrist. Right. Uh, I think in Thessalonians, St. Paul mentions uh, something like, what is it, the the son of perdition or the evil one, something. But he doesn't use the term antichrist anyway. Mm-hmm. He uses it with a definite article. But as far as I know, in you know this whole notion that there would be the antichrist, one particular figure, that didn't really come up until about you know the late the late twentieth century in, in the United States. Mm-hmm. Uh, Solovyov, the, the Russian writer Solovyov, had written a really interesting article about that, basing what he was writing on this uh, this uh, uh, mural that was in Milan that showed kind of a picture of a of a person looking very very much a personage looking very much like Jesus. Uh, was it the devil whispering into this person's ear? Anyway, the point is that you know. I think traditionally in Christianity, there there had always been this notion that there that there were many antichrists along the way, but later on, American evangelicalism and and particularly uh, dispensationalism and this whole kind of rapture craziness. That's when it really started to kind of coagulate in the public mind that there would be this central figure, right? right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, even in the Book of Revelation, where kind of the antichrist is envisioned. I mean, clearly the images in the book of Revelation, Revelation according to St. John, are are meant to be archetypal images. They're not to be taken as history or mm-hmm. something literal. They're meant, they're meant to be seen as psychic patterns that Christians should be aware of all throughout history at, at mm-hmm. various times, not just at any one time, whether the end times or the Roman Empire. You know, there, there would be lots of times in the last course of the last 2000 years when some of those images in the Revelation would be salient. Mm-hmm. Also, I think um, the term, you know, people think it just automatically means the opposite of Christ, which it does, but it also, to anti-Christ can mean like instead of right. Christ. Yep. Um, and if our, if our archetype as Christians, it, it, Christ himself is an archetype. <laughs> yep. Um, yeah, the ultimate archetype for, for the right. human. Right. And you that, that comes from Jung too, right? Right. The archetype of the self is Christ. Right. So in a way you could go in from in a union sense, you could also see the Antichrist as an anti-self. Mm-hmm. And there, there again, it fits in with Rob's uh, thesis of, of being the shadow because the shadow is a kind of anti-self. Right. I also think of that in terms of complexes. What do you mean? Can you unpack that? I, I'm not sure what you're referring to. Antichrist complexes that sort of um, form around the archetype of antichrist okay uh-huh. and uh, like a personal complex i think would be a personality that is independent from your, the ego and from other parts of the psyche i think uh-huh. like uh, james hillman i think would say even the ego is a uh, complex okay um he's uh-huh. the founder of archetypal psychology right i tend to see like a uh, demonic possession <laughs> in terms of, of complexes that have taken over the, the psyche. Um, but I know, like, there... Would, would multiple personality syndrome kind of fulfill that, too? Um, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. I think I'm dissociative. I think it's dissociative identity disorder now. Right. But I think there's a sense in which we all have many identities. Without, oh, absolutely. Without it being I a mean, disorder. So. No, that's... I think that's just the human condition. Yeah, right. that... Um, I know that a spiritual teacher that I very much admire, you know, Gurdjieff, one of his fundamental teachings is the fact that we have many eyes 
I mm -hmm. in the sense of the first person singular pronoun, uh, which are constantly, you know, alternating throughout the day, hourly, daily, and that we don't even recognize this, you know, or another spiritual teacher in that tradition, Maurice Nicole, spoke of the fact that each of us is like a house in which there's one phone line, but many people living in the house and different people at different times will get on the phone line and speak as if they're the householder of that house. Right. You know, and then each one, as they successively kind of get on and off the phone, forget that they're the speaker. So, I mean, in that sense, in the human condition. But, you know, a really interesting thing, Eric, is that a lot of people now I'm following, like, for example, the uh, physicist and philosopher Bernardo Castrup, as well as the spiritual teacher Rupert Spira. Mm -hmm. And both of them, especially Castrup, is speaking about um, the human condition being one that in which all 8 billion of us are kind of um, limitations on the one consciousness. So there's like this one consciousness that, and he uses this term, he says there's one, there's only one consciousness, which then dissociates and then mm -hmm. dissociates into each one of us individually. So mm -hmm. I think that's a really kind of productive and interesting idea too. Yeah, that is interesting. In terms of Donald Trump and talking about the shadow, you know, he, he sort of uh, sums up the text that I sent talking about what is the, the goal of Jungian psychology, which is individuation. I mean, he, right. he, he doesn't talk specifically about that, but he talks about, you know, not seeing the projection as separate or distinct from ourselves. And so I'm wondering, you know, he also talks about in, in the religious tradition, the need to resist evil. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering what the uh, tension might be in our response to Donald Trump, where we can resist evil that is uh, personified through his actions, and right. while not, while also redressing our own projections, so that we can integrate into um, whole human beings, even if he never does that, you know, we can we can hope for that. But I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, you do. Now, you and I might be part of two different schools in our definition or description of what we think evil is. I okay. mean, in terms of just like talking about ego, let's just focus on that. Uh, I see ego just, you know, psychologically straightforward as being. When, when, when we read in scripture about figures like the devil and Lucifer and the serpent, this is just ego. You just, it's just like straight out a definitive, you know, uh, analytical, straightforward equation. So that brings, that kind of makes me think about the notion of Jung's individuation, I think, because a lot of people are confused who don't want to, or don't want to recognize the distinction between individuation and individualism. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I see individualism as being a kind of ideology of the ego that's okay. very much uplifted and exalted in the American psyche and which really, you know, kind of comes to a head in Donald Trump, kind of mm -hmm. a, a very kind of like a poster boy of this egoic individualism. And I don't know, maybe I'll just ask you, how do you, what do you think uh, Father Isaac would say, or maybe what are your opinions on how, how do, how, how does Jungian individuation differ from the kind of perversion of that, that we see in that egoic individualism? Well, I think, I mean, part of that individualism would be the denial or the, you know, the repression of the okay. contents of the psyche that we don't want to admit to having or that we're ignorant of possessing. Right. 
-huh. And so, you know, those aspects is often what we would deem as being evil or, or sick or wrong. That's what we project onto others. Uh -huh. And the ego, I think that is the action of the ego, that repression. <laughs> and so individuation would um, demand humility in that aspect. To, right. to, to like sort of set the ego aside and, and uh, because the individuation is the, you know, bringing into the consciousness those aspects of ourselves that are in shadow or that are unknown to us from the unconscious. Right. So it's like, it's interesting because I think you could pretty much boil it down to two two different words and that's that individu uh, individu individuation is about integrating mm -hmm. uh psychic material into the self bringing mm -hmm. you know bring it back into the self whereas individualism is about disintegrating and denying and kind of um say making a separate self right creating a separate self and in individualism say i am this self and then i have all these enemies and others out there which is mm -hmm. what we see classically this is whole this is donald trump's entire suite of psycho i don't think anything exists in his psychology apart from this impulse to set himself apart from others yeah. and to say yeah. the others are bad, bad or wrong or stupid or atrophied or whatever but he's this great you know stable genius right so like he's he's the consummate uh product of individualism which mm -hmm. wants to disintegrate deny and separate and mm -hmm. create walls against the other and the enemy whereas we would have to find if, if we were to find a Christ figure, not an antichrist figure, but an archetypal Christ figure, it would be one who has um, integrated into himself all these parts. Well, I think, you know, sort of I, I wrote a book on the Beatitudes. Right. Which, yeah, which I remember. Not, uh -huh. The reason I bring that up is because if, if Jesus Christ is the archetype of the human I see that, you know, this figure of the peacemaker, what he's really doing throughout the Beatitudes is describing his own traits. Mm -hmm. and, and, and he's describing himself as the, you know, the ultimate fulfillment of blessing right. in, in the Beatitudes. I suppose the, the Antichrist would not have, you know, he wouldn't be meek. He wouldn't, uh -huh. he wouldn't um, be poor in spirit or poor. <laughs> Mm -hmm. yeah he, he wouldn't you know hunger for righteousness or um have any humility mm -hmm. so i see it in those terms it's that yeah. in antiodromia too right right yeah but but i think that happens sociologically when a uh, a group kind of knows unconsciously that its number is up and that it's about to disappear statistically mm -hmm. i mean you know many sociologists have pointed out that um the phenomena of Trumpism is just the result of the fact that, you know, uh, white people with privilege know that they're going to be a minority in about 20 years. Right. And so they're just scrambling. It's almost like a death rattle. It's like an agony trying to figure out a way to make this horrible fate stop, you know, that, that white people are no longer going to rule this country. Yeah. And I, and I think evangelicals in a way kind of, they see that they've, you know that they they're also entering a kind of agony i mean i don't see evangelicalism lasting much longer especially i don't know how it's going to survive some of the recent um you know inroads we've made into things like cosmology computer technology genetics all these things completely overturn all of the basic premises about reality that evangelical evangelicals hold i don't mm -hmm. see how it can stand up to these things 
you know, it's already in complete denial about things that have been established as fact, like, like evolution and um, evolution by natural selection and climate change. Right. And there's yeah. going to be more stuff coming down the pike that is just going to overturn their basic presuppositions and it can't survive. I think they sense this and that's why there's this mad scramble to to take anybody, even if it's Donald Trump, to be their guy that's going to save them, you know, their great white savior. Right. <laughs> uh, we might want to cover another chapter. There's, I think there's a lot to, to cover in this book and we've only talked about three pages. So maybe yeah. we might want to hit, hit it up again another time, right? Yeah, sure. Thanks for listening. For more, including the text itself, check out our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash I got your text. If you'd like to respond or comment on anything that you've heard here, Spotify listeners can click on the comment button to leave an audio comment. Or alternately, you can email us at igetyourtext.com. Peace out, y'all. production.